God, we thank you and praise you for the day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the redemption that we have in you through the blood of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to save us. Thank you, Lord, because in our sin, we were wallowing. We were without hope, Lord. And, and you know what? We were too proud to even recognize it. Forgive our arrogance, O oh Lord, and help us to walk in humility, Lord. That's what today's message is about. Father, guide us in this time. I pray that you would stir our hearts and stir our affections for you. I pray, God, that uh, when we leave this place, we'll be more in love with you than when we even came through the doors, Lord. For all is covered by your grace, and what a beautiful, loving thing that is. I thank you for the people here today, God. May we all have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, we're, we're kind of continuing an idea that James started in, at the end of chapter 3, kind of finishes up today, but it's this comparison contrast between wisdom, the wisdom of this world, the earthly wisdom, which James would call earthly or sensual or even demonic wisdom, wisdom that we don't want to follow, wisdom that we don't, as, as followers of Christ, we're not interested in. That wisdom compared to the wisdom that comes down from on high, that is godly wisdom, and that's what we want to align ourselves under. That's the way we want to live our lives. So we say in that, that then God's word becomes our authority. We're no longer our authority. That's, that would be aligning with the worldly way, conforming to the pattern of this world. But we take the word of God, that thing that you're holding in your lap, and we say, all right, this has authority over me. So when I read something in the Bible that I don't agree with, it's not the Bible that changes. It's me. I change. I change my opinion. I change my viewpoint to align myself with what God has to say. And that's the, that's the way we as Christ followers are to live. So this worldly wisdom versus this godly wisdom. If we were building a house of wisdom, the, the, the earthly wisdom, godly wisdom that we use would be the walls. Today we're going to kind of look at the foundation of where this wisdom comes from. What, is, what are these walls built upon? If we were to look at the wisdom of this world, the foundation that is built upon is what's known as arrogance. It's pride. It's the, the foundation of, if you boil it down, it's, I got this, God. That, that's the idea of worldly wisdom. I don't need your help. I, I got this figured out. Whereas the foundation of godly wisdom, the walls are built upon humility. And that's kind of where we finished last week. We were looking at, we finished with the idea of, of verse 10 in chapter 4, where it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The, the, the proper response to us recognizing that as the bride of Christ, which is the church, we have all committed adultery against our husband, Jesus. In one way or another, when we align ourselves with the wisdom of this world, we, in essence, are committing adultery against Jesus. So we recognize that. And, and James doesn't pull any punches. He says, weep and wail and mourn over that. We should. It should grieve us when we, when we sin against God. It should break our hearts. Imagine in your relationship, if you committed adultery and you had to go tell your spouse, it would, it would break your spouse's heart, certainly, but it would trouble you as well. It would grieve your heart also, unless you're a cynic, hard-hearted, but it would break your heart as well. And so 
the proper response, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So if we align ourselves with the wisdom of God, we begin on a foundation of humility. And since we're going to talk about what humility is today, we thought, I thought, well, we better define it just to make sure we're all on the same page, make sure we understand. Dictionary.com, we got rid of Webster's. We don't use, we use, we reuse the app now, right? Dictionary.com, the app, defines humility as the quality or condition of being humble. Modest opinion or estimate of one owns importance, rank, etc. And so it's that you would have a, a, a proper perspective of yourself. That's humility, is that we would have the right eyes as we look at our lives. In the kingdom economics, the kingdom of God economics, up is down. We talked about this and we had a leadership meeting this past Tuesday. The, as you rise in the church to different positions of leadership, you're rising to serve more. It's, it's not... It's not, oh, look at me, I've got, you know, the pastor parking, nobody better park in my spot, you know, out there. That's, that's not the way it is. As we rise in the kingdom of God, it's to serve more, and we take our example from Jesus. Think about that. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke all things into existence. We find him in his last hours girding a towel and washing the feet of his disciples, taking the lowest of positions. That's the example Jesus leaves for us. And so as we serve in the church, that's as we rise, we grow lower, we become more humble. We grow closer to God and we reach with love to others all the more. I like the way C.S. Lewis defined humility. Humility, he said, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's the idea that, you know what, I'm living to serve. I'm living, I don't care about myself. And it's not that you become a doormat, it's that you become a servant. I mean, I'm serving in the house of God, and, and it's not my will anymore. Let thy will be done. Have your way with me, O Lord, we sing. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's having a proper perspective. It's thinking of yourself less. So we pick it up in verse 11 today, with a new text. He's going to talk about our relationship with one another. It says in 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? I'm sorry, guys, James is just not going to let up. He's just going to continue to hammer us. And that's good. I appreciate that because I want to conform to the image of God. And sometimes that takes the hammering process. Heat us in the fire, just like, in, like a sword. You get heated in the fire so that the, the metal is malleable, and then you put it on the, hammering, or on the anvil for the hammering process. God needs to do that in our lives as well. And that's what the book of James is all about. So he's talking about our relationship with one another, and he says, don't speak evil of one another. We are to edify, to build up. We read that in the book of Ephesians. We're to encourage and, and, and bless one another. And then he, he kind of says, who are you to judge another? In other words, how about you let God do his own job? Leave God's job to him. How about we, what's our job? 
in the midst of a relationship with Christ, what's our role? Are we to judge one another? James tells us no. We're to live and, and love one another. One of the three mission statements we have for our church is just simply love 860. Love 860. 860 is, for those of you that are new, is my favorite verse in the Bible. There's only one, chapter 8, verse 60. It's in 1 Kings. And Solomon says, so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. That's, that's why they de- dedicated the temple. That's why they built the temple back in Israel, so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. And so we attach the, the um, word love to it. We, so we say love 860. Love so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. And the love we need needs to reach out to everybody, but it needs to begin in our house. It needs to begin with one another. I I firmly believe, and we as a church strongly believe, that uh, what John 13.35 says is, is the key to reaching the world. John 13.35, by this all will know that you are my disciples. You want, if, the, if we want the world to know that we are followers of Christ, John is saying, by this you will know. Ready? Here it is. You have love for one another. It's not, the way, it's not how much we know. The, the economics or the, the currency of God is not knowledge. It's love. It's, it's the way we care for one another. It's the, it's the idea that we embrace one another as truly brothers and sisters in Christ. That my, my way, my house is your house. The things I have, if, you, if I've got two coats and you need a coat, here, take one. You pick. I'll take the ugly one. It's okay. <laughs> By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for God is manifest in the way that we love one another. Hear this from the epistle, 1 John. John says this in chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Again, the way we demonstrate our love for God is in the love that we have for one another, the care that we take toward one another. James is continually contrasting thoughts. He he says in chapter 2, you have to have Faith and works. You can't have faith without works. It's this idea of back and forth. And and now today we're looking at arrogance versus humility. But we could also say we need to love God and love others. And it's the same thought. Humility is having a proper perspective. And the proper perspective is God's perspective about ourselves and about God. Humility is having a proper perspective about ourselves and God. And that's God's perspective. We adopt what His perspective is. We, when we follow the wisdom of this world, when we align ourselves with that wisdom, we want to make us bigger than we are and God smaller than He is. Right? That's, I got this, God. I'm all right. I don't need your help. In fact, I'm not even sure you could help me. That's making us bigger than we are and God smaller than He is. And both are damaging. Both are are a difficult thing, and that's wrong wisdom. So look at verse 13. He says, Come now, 
You who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and, and we'll make a profit. Whereas you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And so James wants to look at our lives and say, all right, let's look at how you're thinking about what tomorrow is going to bring. Let's how, how do you look at the future when it comes to aligning ourselves with that wisdom of God and building our house on the foundation of humility? And that's what these verses are about, is, is how do we plan for the future? And what I want to start by saying is this is not, or this is, how do I want to say this? Um, James is not saying these things, okay? We'll talk about what he's not saying first, and then we'll talk about what he is saying in these verses. James is not saying that planning is a bad thing. He, you know, that's, you could read into that verse and, oh, if you say I'm going to go to such and such a city and I'm going to do such and such a thing and we're going to trade for a year, and you see that a person is making plans and James is like, don't do that. that he, what he's, he's not saying don't plan. Planning is a good thing. For us to consider the future and make plans for the future is a good thing. In fact, it's biblical to say that Planning was bad. If that's what James were saying, he would be going against the rest of the Bible. How about Proverbs chapter 6? I love this verse. Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supply in summer and gathers her food for in the harvest. The, the, the ant works all summer long, all harvest long, in order to prepare for the winter. The ant plans. So and, and Solomon's like, hey, go out to your sidewalk and instead of squishing them, take a look at them. We all enjoy that, right? Maybe not, but... So James is not saying that planning is a bad thing. If you, we're not telling you to dump your 401k and forget about retirement here. That's not what, what he's saying. And he's also not saying the phrase if the Lord wills, is a rabbit's foot. So if I just say I'm going to do this and this and this and tack on, well, if the Lord wills, then I'm okay. That's not, he's not like, this is not some mantra that you have to adopt into your, your statements, you know. You, when you go into Burger King this afternoon and you look at the menu and, I believe that I will have a double Whopper if the Lord wills. Well, first of all, the ne Lord never wills that you would have a double Whopper. <laughs> Just need to right now. I mean, that's like three days of manna right there, you know. And, and the Lord says you don't you don't grab more than one day of manna, and so you just the Lord would never will that you have a double whopper with cheese and bacon. Uh, <laughs> so he's not saying planning is a bad thing, and he's not saying, hey, adopt this into your um, phrasing or your speech. What is he saying? First, let's have a proper perspective of ourselves. Let's adopt what God would say about us as people and understand that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what? That's generous. 
We don't know what's going to happen today. You know what? We have plans. Michelle's, Michelle's homesick. She's on her way to urgent care. She thinks she's got strep throat. You know, but we've got plans to, to hang out together as a family today. It's my plan to go home. It's my plan to <coughs> hang out with my kids this evening. It's my plan to watch some more of the Pan American games. I'm enjoying the volleyball, you know? And so just having a good time. That's my plan. But do I know if that's going to happen today? No. I could drive out of the parking lot and get T-boned, and it's done. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what, what today is going to bring. All of our tomorrows can be thwarted by an outside source. Your life can change by the phone in your pocket ringing right now. It could be the doctor. Yeah, it is cancer. It could be your employer. I'm sorry, we just don't have a space for you anymore. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. Your life can change in a moment's notice. And we need to maintain a proper perspective to say, I don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. Not only do we not know what tomorrow will bring, but then James would say, life's short. He likens it to a vapor. David does the same thing in the Psalms. Life is it's just a moment. It's a, it's a blink of an eye. And when you consider it in the perspective of eternity, even if we get a long life of 70 or 80 or 90 years, what is that compared to eternity? Life is a, a vapor. Literally, the, the translation would be a, a mist, not a fog. 2005, I went to the first... Um, Passion Conference to volunteer, the first one I went to, it was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning, so I got up, rather than spending the night the night before, I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and drove to Nashville, which might have been a good idea or might not have. I ended up working 20 hours that day, and it was a little rough. I think I was up for, I don't know, 30 hours or something like that, but on the drive down, it was just south of Cincinnati. Right as the sun was coming up, this fog rolled in. Anyway, I don't know. You know, the Lord would say, walk by faith. You ever driven by faith? <laughs> it's a trip. I mean, I couldn't see the next white line. You know, in the, da the dashes in the middle of the road. I'm like, Lord, I I've never prayed so much in my life. You know, just thank you for that one hundredth of a mile. Thank you for that one hundredth of a mile. But it's not even that type of fog. Life is not even like that, that when the sun rises, it will eventually burn off. That's not the idea. It's more like the smoke that comes after you light a match. It's there for a second. It's gone. It's a, it's a mist. And when you think of it, if you were to put your life on the timeline, this is an old youth group trick, you would take a rope and string it from one side of the room to the other and say, this is the timeline. And then you take a paper clip and you hang it in the middle of that, and they, that's your 80 years. And that's, that, it's, even, it's even grander than that, because eternity goes on forever. It doesn't stop at the walls. But the, the 80 years that you have in this, in this, on this planet is just a blip in the screen. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. Ecclesiastes talked about that over and over again. You guys recognize that in, in 100 years, nobody's going to remember your name. Not even your great-grandkids are going to remember who you are. Life is a vapor. It's just, 
It's just a, a gone here and gone. And so the conclusion is, hey, we need to have a proper perspective of ourselves. And that perspective is we lack knowledge and power. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, and even if we did know, we can't change it. Now, you, you can't change the, the cancer diagnosis. You can't, there's not a lot you can do, but if it comes in from an outside source, we don't have the power to change a whole lot. We can't change the weather. They can't even predict it right. <laughs> so we, need to, we lack both knowledge and power. That's a proper perspective. And that is, I don't know about for you, but for me, that's humbling. I, I don't have it together. I don't have enough to make it on my own. I, do, I am in need of something. So we need to have a proper perspective of ourselves. Second, we need to have a proper perspective of God. We need to consider the attributes of God. And this is always good to do whenever you're feeling without hope or lost, that we rely on a God and we need to think of him as bigger than we normally do. We try to reduce our understanding to God to fit him in a box, and that's not the way God is. A.W. Tozer talks about that all the time. We need to think about God in grander schemes, in more majestic ways. How about he's omniscient? Omni-science is the way you would break that down. Omni means all. Science is knowledge. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. There's nothing he does not know, even what you were thinking last night. He knows our thoughts. He knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows what's coming in all of the tomorrows. He knows the day he's going to return. He knows the day you're going to die. He knows the number of hairs on your head or lack thereof. <laughs> he knows that you're going to be dumb enough to try to order a double Whopper today. He knows everything. There is nothing he does not know. And it's not like, let me go look it up No, It's like instant recall No, Hey God, what was the weather like in Istanbul in April 22nd, 1542? Oh, it was sunny in 35. Or, you know. He doesn't have to remember it. He knows it. He's omniscient. Not only that, he's omnipotent. Omnipotent. Omni meaning all. Potent meaning power. All-powerful. He lacks no power. We lack knowledge. We lack power. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. Hebrews would say that he holds us together. That he holds our atoms together. You understand the power of an atom, right? We saw it. Hiroshima, Nagasaki. We saw the power of the atom. Atom bombs. How much power is in your body? How much atomic power, nuclear power, is in your body? If we were able to harvest the energy that your body contains, how much would that be? Believe it or not, they've researched it. <laughs> we can look at it in the good if we were to harvest it for good, or we can look at it in the bad, if we were to harvest it for bad. Which do you want first? I heard bad first, right on. That's the way my life goes too. If we were able to harvest the atomic force, the nuclear force of just your body, we would have enough power for 70,000 atom bombs. One person's body. 70,000 Hiroshima's and Nagasaki's. We'd wipe out the earth. Nobody left. 
Seven billion people gone just by the power that's in your body. If we were to look at it in the good, if we were to harvest your body for the good, we could use the nuclear power that's in your body to supply the power for all of the United States for 16 years. Every light, every switch, every computer, every car, every, everything that requires energy of any type, you have enough power in your body alone for the entire United States for 16 years. And he holds us together. And not just me, and not just you, 7 billion people. And not just 7 billion people, but our Milky Way. And not just our Milky Way, but our solar system, our universe, our, our, the, our, all the stars that are in heaven. He, he holds them in the span of his hand. Talk about power. He has it. He has something that nobody else has. You and I don't have the power to create. We, we can be creative, but being creative on our, on our level is rearranging what's already there. It's, ta- it's going to Home Depot and buying the two-by-fours that came from the tree and rearranging them to make a shed. That's creative. But that's different than God who says, I'll speak it from nothing. He doesn't need the material. He just speaks it into existence. That's power. We need to maintain a proper perspective of ourselves and of God. Not only is He all-knowing, not only is He all-powerful, He's also omnipresent. Omni meaning all, present meaning everywhere. He's, he's everywhere all at once. And that's not to say that God is that tree or God is that car. or God is, That's not what I'm trying to say. It's that God is everywhere. You can't go outside of his love. You can't go beyond his reach. There's no one that can. Helps us to consider who we are and who God is. And it should bring us to a point of humility. The book of Colossians, a great book, says in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, or make your plans. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, underline that if you're there, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And therefore, all that we do, from what we're going to eat this afternoon to where we're going to retire, we should do in light of the fact that Christ is our life. That's what he's saying when he says, say if the Lord will that we would consider every decision that we make with an eternal perspective. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we use our talent. That we wouldn't just consider what's best for us, because that's what the pattern of this world is. We would consider what's best for the kingdom of God. Christ is our life. Let's talk about three ways that you and I can grow in humility. Which is kind of weird to talk about. Because you can't tell people you're growing in humility. That would be boasting. How are you? Well, I've been working on my humility. <laughs> Did you notice? How's the saying go? Oh, he's really humble. Just go ask him. Right? 
Three ways to grow, for you and I to grow in humility, and that's the foundation that we want. Having a proper perspective of ourselves and God, that would be what humility is. One, first of all, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. God did not call you to strike out on your own and forget everybody else. God has called us and set it up so that we need one another. We rely on one another. And we, we, in this day and age, in the churches this age, we fall into a trap of thinking, I'm going to leave the work of the ministry to the professionals. Like we're all, we're all sheep. We're all under a shepherd. There are no professional Christians. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to do different things, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. We look at the ministry, the fivefold ministry given to us in Ephesians chapter 4, and we recognize that we're called to different things. God has equipped us and, and wired us differently, and I can't do it alone, and neither can you. We need each other in order to appropriately be the bride of Christ and to serve this mission that God has placed us on, to seek and to save the lost. And, and, and you have a talent, and you have the ability to reach a person that I can't. So we need to embrace what God has created us to do. Hear this. All right, so we think of arrogance as the guy who's so proud that, oh, I can do it all, and that certainly is arrogance. But that's not the only way arrogance can play itself out. If humility is aligning ourselves with God's perspective, that we are little and He is big, Humility can go, or humility goes that way. Arrogance can be, I've got it, or I'm so weak that even God can't use me. That's arrogance. Arrogance is both, I can do it all, and I can't do anything. I'm too weak for God to use. If you're thinking that today, put it out of your head. Consider the men of the Bible. Do you recognize were I to hire people today that most of the guys in the Bible I wouldn't hire? Hi, David. How are you today? I'm doing well. Well, it appears as though you uh, have a womanizing problem. Is that still an issue for you? Well, yeah, once in a while, but I've got a pretty well. Well, I'm sorry, you're not going to be the next worship leader, you know? Saul. Hi, Saul. I, I see that um, you've killed about 150 guys. Well, yeah, but that, that was a long time ago. All right, well, we'll sign you up for children's ministry. You know, that, you know, that, you know the, the heroes of the Bible, heroes, and that's the beautiful picture of the, the Bible, is there are no heroes except Jesus. Don't ever think that you're too weak to be used by God. Consider who God has used. Twelve guys changed the world, the Roman Empire, by, by the message of twelve fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots. None of us 
or too weak for God to use. So, no Lone Ranger Christians. We understand, we acknowledge our weakness. Number two, when it comes to saying humility, saying humble. Stay curious. Stay curious. Always be willing to learn. Recognize, and somebody needs to hear this today, you don't know it all. Stop faking. Stop playing like you do. Making stuff up. Swallow your pride in that. Always be willing to learn. You don't know it all. Stop acting like you do. David. David was a pretty wise guy. Not in that sense, but a wise man. He says in Psalm Psalm 8, verse 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. When I, David, when I consider all that you've created, when I look up at the stars and I, I recognize, I, play, I get the proper perspective. Why, why would you care about a little blue ball in the middle of nowhere in the universe with people on it? What a glorious thought. Stay curious. Always be willing to learn. Improve, I, I encouraged our um, leadership on Tuesday. Hey, You always have room to hone your craft. You can always get better at what you do. There is always room to grow. And then on top of that, there's always another way to serve. Always be, in fact, I use the word, let's be observant, because it has the word servant in it. Let's come on on these, and, and, and you need to do this as you go to work tomorrow. Lord, give me eyes to see what you would have me to see that I might serve. Lord, give me ears to hear of the person who's crying out with a broken heart. And let me come alongside that person. Let me see the broken. Let me see the hurting. Allow me to come alongside them. Stay curious and be willing to grow and perfect your ministry. Third, in staying humble, learn to acknowledge others. We are to build one another up. We are to edify one another. We are to recognize that we aren't the expert of everything and that God has gifted you differently than he's gifted me. And when I see that God is using you in the talent that he has created you to do, I should celebrate that. It frees you from envy. Oh, God's using that person and here I sit. No, Awesome. God's using that person. That's amazing. I wouldn't use that person, but God is using that person. (laughs) Learn to acknowledge one another. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's edify. Let's build up one another. This is how we walk humbly before our God. And then he says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, right? No Lone Ranger Christians, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we see the day approaching, do we not? I listened to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, one of my favorite teachers to listen to. He's just so, I don't know, he sets my mind at ease. But he loves to talk about the days ahead. And he, was, he actually spoke at the Senior Pastors Conference in 2011 out in California. I was listening to the, his teaching on the rapture the other day. And uh, 
there were a bunch of forest fires going on in California at that time. There was a lot of evacuations and all kinds of crazy things. Um, the tsunami had just hit in Japan, and there was another major incident that year. I can't recall what it was. But if you can just consider all that is happening in our present day, the Lord's return is imminent. And I, I believe that with all my heart, that we're going to see it in our generation. Pastor Chuck taught that for 40 years. Uh, you know, he's with the Lord. But I, I, I just don't know how it couldn't be much longer. As, the, as we see the day approaching, what are we to do? Let's not forsake assembling together, and let's exhort one another. Let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another. That's a great way to grow in humility. This is what Matt Chandler says about this section in chapter 4. I love Matt Chandler. He says, One of the things I've said to you throughout the book of James is that James without the cross is a crushing book. James, no matter how old you get, will read your mail and show you your shortcomings over and over and over again. Listen to me. As awful as we think that is, it is a gift that sends us back to our hope over and over and over again, as it clearly is a diagnostic for our inability to do the very thing God has called us to do. He says, I, um, I love David Brooks, and David Brooks is um, an op-ed writer for the New York Times. Not a Christian guy, I think he says that. He's not professed faith in Christ, but I think he's close. In his new book, he talks a lot about humility, and he says something like this. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, but accurately of yourself. It's an adequate view of your own nature and a realization that you are not equipped to perform the tasks God has asked you to perform. Fully relying on Him. That's a non-Christian, secular, New York Times op-ed writer. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, but accurately of yourself with a view of your nature where you understand you're not equipped to perform the tasks God has asked you to perform. The point of the Ten Commandments, in many ways also the point of the book of James, is to reveal to us that we cannot, so that we might fling ourselves on the one who can and find His grace sufficient for us in this struggle. Beautiful picture. Proper perspective is that we would remain humble, throw ourselves on the eternal grace that is never depleted at the foot of the cross. One more verse, but it's a sermon in and of itself. So rather than try to cram it in in just a few minutes, I think I'm going to hold off. It's the, the difference between the sins of commission and the sins of omission. And so we'll talk about that in a few weeks, actually. We, um, this is the last Sunday in July. And um, as I was praying about, we we're nearing the end of the book of James, and I was considering where to go next. I don't necessarily have an answer for that, but I felt a conviction 
because we've got a lot of new people coming into our church, which I am stoked about. Thank you. And we're glad that everybody is here. I thought for the month of August, what I want to do is actually take the month and talk about some things that make Calvary, Calvary. The, the Calvary Chapel distinctives, if you would. The things that set us apart from other churches. And so we're going to take a break from the book of James. And one of the things that Calvary is known for is teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the whole Bible, which we do, just not for the month of August. (laughs) (laughs) And once in a while, it's good to take a break and to just do some things that are more topical. And so I wanted to address some things that, like I said, would make Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel. And so just as as you're planning, next week would be communion week. And so what I want to talk about is... um, the mission of God, and the mission of the church, that we've been commissioned, if you would. And so that's what we'll talk about next Sunday, the mission of the church, and we'll look at that through the book of Acts. Weeks two and three, we're actually going to spend some time considering the role of the Holy Spirit in the church today, and the role that we place on, the value we place on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something that we've neglected. Not just us, but the church of today has, in fact, Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God, talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend two weeks looking at that. So that's weeks two and three. The fourth week, there are five Sundays in August. The fourth week, we're going to look at the rapture. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And we're going to bring that forward and take a look at the scriptures that would support that and, and why we believe that. And then the fifth week, the last Sunday, um, one of the unique things that I love about Calvary Chapel is that they're always willing to take a risk. And so it's called, uh, Chuck calls it Ventures in Faith. And so we'll spend the fifth Sunday talking about uh, how Calvary Chapel has been marked by steps of faith over the years. And so, uh, and, and why that's valuable and important to us today. So that's our month of August. I know there'll probably be a lot of people traveling, coming to and from if if you've got questions about who we are as a church, this is a great month to commit, if you can, for the entire month and, and kind of learn. And also, you know what, I'll take questions. If you have questions about our doctrine, about our theology, um, maybe write those down, bring them with you. Maybe we can answer one or two even during the messages to kind of address those things, okay? So that's what we've got coming up next month. We appreciate you guys coming today. Um, let's stand, let's close in prayer. Maybe today, through the message, you've kind of come to the conviction that, you know what, I've, I'm arrogant. I've, I've aligned myself with the ways of this world, and all my decisions are about me and what's best for me. Maybe you're feeling a conviction by the Spirit on that. I would say today's the day of salvation. Today's the opportunity for you to repent. Line yourself up with that wisdom that is from on high that's you, I just would encourage you to come forward after we pray, after we sing. There'll be some people up here that want to talk with you and pray with you, answer any questions that you have. If you have a need for prayer for anything, it's a proud heart that wouldn't come forward. Just come forward in humility and say, I I need God's help. It's okay. Let's pray. Lord, far too often I see in my life my arrogance my thinking that 
I've got the knowledge and I've got the power. But a proper perspective would be, Lord, you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful. So, help us to grow in humility. Help us to align ourselves with the wisdom that is from above. Help us to do what you've called us to do, Lord. Because, as David Brooks says, we can't do it in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we need you. As we leave this place, I pray your blessing on each and every family. As we go from place to place this week, I pray that we would be observant. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the brokenhearted and ears to hear the cries of those who need you. Lord, we would have a burden for those people. Love them the way that you have loved us. Father, we do all for your kingdom. We do all for your glory. We can't wait till we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.